churches uh, in the ancient Near East that, uh, that Jesus is speaking directly to. All of them have some connection with John, who's the writer of Revelation. Uh, and I, I just want to start by just sort of imagine, we can get a little bit academic about it. Imagine what's happening here. Jesus is giving letters to send to the church, and all the churches will read all the letters. So it's a little bit like if you can imagine over the next seven Sundays, we read a series of letters that were written to different churches that we were familiar with. Uh, So it might go something like this. uh, Liberty Northeast, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Uh, Some of you are about to be imprisoned. We would be hearing this. Um, It it might say something like uh, New Life Dresher. Uh, I see your good deeds, but you need to wake up and stop being such just a nice people. Uh, it might say, uh, Bridge Community Church, uh, you're, you're tolerating Jezebel in your midst. <laughs> These are personal letters, and, and they should make us feel a little uncomfortable. If you got a little uncomfortable in what I just said, that's kind of part of the point, right? Uh, These are personal letters to churches that would have known about each other in some sense. And Jesus is speaking directly to them. Uh, and, and he's speaking in a way that, that he wants it to be normal for the church to be confronted with their sin openly, to, to be a church that's open about that, uh, that it's open that Jesus encourages all the churches um, and that he calls them to repent. And at the same time, all the churches, for all the messes that they are, are called to hope in him, that they have, they have hope in Jesus. Uh, and so today we come to the sixth of seven churches we're in the Church of Philadelphia, not our Philadelphia, not the Philadelphia of, of, of this country, but um, the, the Philadelphia of the ancient world. And uh, we're going to read the letter uh, to this church in Revelation 3. It's in your outline, or if you have your Bible, you can open up. Open up. Revelation 3, we're going to start in verse 7 to 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Father, we, uh, we just ask, would you be our teacher? Um, would you be our encourager? Would you, where we are downcast, would you be the lifter of our head? Where we need to be called to confession, Lord, would you convict us? Uh, Lord, where we need hope, would you bring good news this morning 
through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so Angelo mentioned that I'm uh, of the younger generation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quickly shedding that, that, uh, that, that claim. In a couple weeks, I will turn 40. Yes. Uh, and what's funny about announcing that is for some of you, I, I sound really old all of a sudden. Um, but for some of you, the opposite. I'm like, that guy is young. That guy's young. Uh, really young. And that's, that's kind of actually the, the essence of a midlife crisis, isn't it? Uh, right there in what I just said. Um, I'm at the precipice of age is turning from opportunity to obstacle. Isn't that what, what midlife crisis is? I'm no longer when I get to be this age. Age is now becoming an obstacle. The time to accomplish everything I hope for is getting smaller. Uh, the prospect of things I hoped about myself that would change is sort of diminishing a little bit. Uh, and, and the time, so if, if you have children, early when they're young, you seem to have this infinite amount of time uh, before you with them that is both sort of exhausting and exhilarating at the same time. Um, and then as you get older, as your kids get older, you realize, oh my gosh, in, in three years, they'll be gone. <laughs> it's sort of like a stunning moment uh, that, that strikes you. Uh, my choices now seem far, more, uh, far fewer and more permanent. Uh, so, for example, if I play a sport and I, I know if I hurt myself, if I sprain my ankle, that's not a quick recovery. That, that, um, that ankle will, will cause pain for some time. And so my, my age is now turning to a limit on my life. It's a reminder of my finitude. For some of you who are younger here, it, you might have a different experience. Certainly teenagers, if you're here, uh, age is a barrier in a different way, right? It's a, it's a limit on your freedom. Uh, you can't spend as much time you want on screens. You can't go out when you want to go out. You can't go where you want to go. Um, you're waiting maybe for freedom to come. Um, Kelly uh, Kapik uh, wrote a book on, on, on the limits of people, the finitude of people. She said, creaturely finitude is less an idea we discover than a reality we run into. <laughs> I ran into my, my finiteness in, in thinking about 40. Um, and so we experience uh, limits in, in our finitude in all other ways, in many ways other than our age. Uh, for some of you, it's just simply the time that you experience. You experience time week to week, and, and it's always a stress because there's never enough of it. You cannot do anything to make more time. For some of you, uh, it's the limit of your bodies. Uh, your bodies are physically limited. They grow tired. Um, they've, they've got wounds and aches from years gone by. Um, and, and physically, you can only be in one place at one time. Try as we, we might to, to change that. Some of you might be experiencing the limit of, uh, of your chosen career path. You are now on a path, and you're only going to make so much money, and you only have so many choices about changing your career. Uh, you've sort of, you get locked in, right, in a sense. Um, and maybe the company you're at and the people you work with, there's only so far you'll be able to go uh, because of the people you're with. We all face limits, of course, um, with the family that we're born into. Amen? <laughs> our, our families create limits around us. Uh, how you're raised has a lot to do with your personality, um, your emotional makeup, what you value, uh, whether you're, you're embracing that or your whole personality is about not being what your family of origin is. Um, you, you, these, these things put limits on us. 
Uh, and of course, uh, we all face the limits of our influence. Uh, no matter what you do, you actually can't make your neighbor stop playing obnoxiously loud music. You can't make them do it. Uh, you cannot, parents, make your children believe what you want them to believe. You, your, your influence is limited. And of course, as Angelo prayed, uh, we're experiencing on a worldwide scale the limit of our influence. We cannot make people, uh, rulers, stop doing what they want to do, try as we might. People are dying in conflict every day because of the limits of our influence. Uh, and, and in all of these things, brothers and sisters, we see these edges of ourselves, these limits on ourselves. And, and, and the question is, what do we do when we run into those limits? What do we do when we come up against them? Uh, and, I, and I will confess to you, and, I, and, I, and I, I would imagine this is true for most of you, the temptation is not, ah, there's a limit. I can only do one thing at a time, embrace. No, we run from, we deny them, we do everything we can to overcome them. I do everything I can to not think about the limits in my life um, because of who I am. But when we deny our limits, when you deny the way you're limited and try to avoid them, you're actually also denying the goodness of God. You're denying the goodness of God when you deny the fact that you're a limited human. And the good news of this passage is that the way of Jesus actually puts us to rest in our limits for the sake of the world. Uh, the church in Philadelphia that, that's written to here knows something about limits. And, and as we hear Christ's words to them, we learn what it is to be put at rest in our limits for the sake of the world. So the first thing we notice um, that might have jumped out to you uh, if you're following along with these letters about the church in Philadelphia is that they are not given any specific correction. Uh, all, the, all the other churches except for one, Philadelphia is one of two churches that is not really openly rebuked. Um, they, where Jesus usually shifts to, uh, he commends them, I see your deeds, which is sort of the, the normal line he takes. And then, he, and then usually he shifts to, but I have this against you. But he doesn't do that with this church. Because Philadelphia is special, right? Fill the name, it's the name, it's all in the name. No, he, he, um, he says to them next in verse eight, he says, I know you have little strength. I know that you're powerless. That's what some translations say. This, this word is power or strength or resources. Uh, they have few resources and influence as a church. And what you need to know is that this is not just ho-hum, a little um, small church, much like ourselves. Uh, that what you need to know is that this would have been particularly difficult in the city of Philadelphia at the time. Most cities have kind of an ethos to them. Uh, so our, our Philadelphia the Philadelphia region that we're a part of. What, what's our ethos? We, there's a couple things, right? But one of them um, is we love being the underdog, right? You remember when the Eagles were, were approaching the Super Bowl and they had these ridiculous dog full head masks that people would wear. Um, we love being the underdog. At one of our most prominent cultural landmarks is a statue of a character from a movie who's an underdog, right? It's, this is, we embrace this ethos. Uh, there's this saying I've heard, um, and I've seen some t-shirts, they don't like us, we don't care, right? We, we, we are the underdog city in many ways. Um, the, the ethos of ancient Philadelphia 
was not of a, to be an underdog. It was to be a, a place of influence. The, the city was settled for the express purpose to spread Greek culture to the known world. That was its ethos. So these followers of Jesus in Philadelphia are small in influence and stature in a city that is built for influence and stature. And so, the, so it's a little bit like this. It, uh, if we continue thinking about our own Philadelphia, it would be kind of like if a mayor got elected to our Philadelphia who was born into, into wealth, never worked a day in his life, mayor of the city of Philadelphia. The, the tension will be palpable. The city would not really embrace him or her, right? Uh, this is the tension that the, the church in Philadelphia faces. Their small and, and, and lack of prestige is actually a worst-case scenario. And so there's another problem. There's another limit. So this is the first thing that they face. The second thing you see in verse 9, uh, just like the church in Smyrna, there's this conflict with the Jewish community. Uh, and, um, oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, right, there's, there's, a, there's a conflict with the church in, in the Jewish community. Uh, and, and really what we... Th- the, what makes seems to be the clearest and most sensible understanding of this is that the conflict is over who is the true Israel, who are the true people of God. Uh, the Christian claim, remember, the Christian claim that Jesus is Messiah uh, explodes the boundaries of who can be God's people. It's now Jew and Gentile. The, the, the God's people are defined by those that confess the lordship of Christ and are baptized in his name. And that, this is a great challenge to the, the Jewish community there. So, so these, these are the two challenges they face, these two limits. Not only are they powerless and small, but they're, they're not left alone. The church is not left alone. The name that they claimed, the name of Jesus that they claimed, um, small as their church was, even that was under assault from the outside. So it's, it's a little bit like if the Glenside News did a hit piece on Bridge Community Church as a godless place, right? We'd be like, we're a small church, and you're a small paper. Like, why are you coming after us, you know? Uh, it's it's kind of like that, right? The, a small minority, the Jewish people would have been a minority in the city, and they're stepping on an even smaller minority. And so Jesus says, I see you have little strength. I see you have little strength. But he offers no rebuke for that, right? It's just that he just notices it, he sees it, he, he affirms it. Uh, and so it's important to know that there are limits, these things that limit them. It's not, being an, it's not a state of sin, it's a state of being human. They experience the limits of what it is to be human. But, however, however, we can see, though, in the way Jesus talks to them, how he's trying to guard them from the temptations that come when you face your limits. Uh, he, he says in, in verse 9, what does he say about what he's gonna, how he's going to lead that, uh, how he's going to redeem them? I'm going to bring that community that's slandering you, and you don't have to keep putting it up, Dave, thanks. Uh, um, he, he says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge what? That I have loved you. So we can sort of read between the lines, The temptation is to believe because you're experiencing these limits, God doesn't actually love you. That's where we go from human condition to sinful condition, right? Uh, 
and so they stand at this threshold of what the church in Philadelphia, what will we do with our limits? Are our limits God's limits? Is, is my lack of power God's lack of power? And they stand at this threshold of what will we do with this question? Uh, we, we face this, I face this uh, every day, my own limits. Uh, and, and I wonder perhaps um, sometimes a, a comparison can help draw this out if you're, if you're struggling to get your arms around this. Uh, part of the reason why I, I love that John the Baptist was read is John the Baptist was a man uh, just completely sort of riddled with limits. Um, and it sort of makes him an interesting character. But think about his life. Here's, here's a limit on your life. Before you're born, an angel announces the expectations on your life. <laughs> Some of you are born into families that have high expectations on you. You didn't have an angel say, this person was going to do so-and-so. That, that sort of puts a little bit of a, um, it's a, it's a blessing, but it's also like, man, you better live up to that, right? Uh, there's a limit there. There's an expectation. And part of that was John the Baptist before birth, his diet was determined. No wine or fermented drink. And his life's calling, here's the calling on his life. Lead the people of God back to, back to the true Lord. And part of that meant then that where he lived was predetermined. Part of that meant the ministry of the Spirit was you're going to go live in the wilderness. Sorry, John, you don't get the, the, the cozy life in town. Because of who you are, you will live in the wilderness. Any, anybody ever been called, you had to move somewhere for work? Now, that is becoming a thing of a bygone era, I guess. But, but you, you're, you're put into a place because of that you need to make means for your family. Uh, and, and so part, think about more limits on John. I live in the wilderness, but even by ancient standards, John's diet and clothing are subpar because of where he lives. And of course, then, even his calling, right? His calling to, to, to baptize would put him at odds with his own community. And, and so think about John's life, full of limits, full of barriers, full of things that, that hemmed him in. And, and at the moment at which, after he had, he had walked through all of that, at the moment when his popularity begins to wane, right? He says something remarkable. So John has some followers, and all of a sudden, people begin to notice some of his followers are trailing away for another. So they're going to Jesus, and John's followers come to say, John's followers come to him and say, aren't you upset about this? Like, what? this is bad news. You're losing your people. And this is what John says in John 3. He says, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. So your life's work is, is sort of dwindling in some ways before your eyes. <laughs> and John is able to say, I only receive what I've been given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. He must become greater. I must become less. John's life is, is extreme in how it's shaped by limits um, but they're really no different from ours in the way that we have to face up to how much our limits on our humanity. And yet he's able to say, <laughs> even as, even as his, his followers leave him, I must decrease, he must increase. And, and so 
I would, I would just invite you to be at the place where the church in Philadelphia is, at this threshold. You all, you all face limits in your life. You have people in your life that will not change the way you want them to change. And part of that is the spiritual warfare we're a part of and the battle that we're in. But part of that is the limit of your influence. You can only do so much. And so you stand at this threshold of, Lord, what will I do with my limits? Will I run from them? Will I do everything I can to pretend like they're not there? Will I, or can I be like John and say, I can only receive what's been given to me. He must increase, I must decrease. And this is where the church in Philadelphia is at. They're at this threshold. They're at the edge of their limits. They're tempted to despair of the name of Jesus. And you can see that in the language throughout, right? He says, hold on, hold on to my name. And right at that moment, right at that moment, these letters were not just written because Jesus felt like writing a letter. He knew right at that moment what they needed to hear. I place before you a door that no one can shut. Right at the moment when they're at the edge of despair, I place before you a door that no one can shut. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Our God is on time and he always makes a way. He always makes a way. I place before you a door that no one can shut. He says, I know you have little strength. I know you lack power, but no one can shut this door. Not the people who are slandering you, not your lack of influence in a city of influence. I have opened this door before you. So what is this door? What, where does it lead? Um, Jesus, I want to, there's two things we can see. Two things that Jesus invites us to uh, in the door. And, and they're, they're the two parts of what we've been saying. The first thing is this, this door puts us at rest in our limits for the sake of the world. Puts us at rest in our limits for the sake of the world. So first, it's an invitation to be put at rest in our limits. Uh, how? God puts us at rest in our limits by putting us at rest in his presence. Amen? You cannot wrestle <laughs> rest into yourself. You're put at rest in your limits by being at rest in his presence. The door is an invitation that no one can shut into the presence of God. Uh, and, and where do we get this? So if you look, if you look ahead for next week, um, this image of the door comes up again in the church, uh, to the letter to Laodicea. In, in verse 20 of chapter 3, uh, he says, Christ is saying to the church, here I am. It's a little different situation. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. The door is, is it, it, to this church, he's, he's crying out, I'm, 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 I'm knocking at it. To the church in Philadelphia, it's open, but it's a door to his presence, to, to be with our God. Um, and we'll see again at the beginning of, of uh, chapter four, um, it, the, the vision turns. John says, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. At once I was in the spirit and before me, before the door, was the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. So 
So this, this, this invitation to the presence of God, it's a thread all through scripture. Uh, it's, it's the presence that we lost in the Garden of Eden. It's the presence restored in part through the tabernacle and the temple. And it's now the presence we have full access to because of Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Because of the blood of Christ, he can open that door. We can freely come in to the presence of God. And so why is this presence so important? Um, why is this presence so important? Well, one reason, uh, let me not say that there's only one reason why the presence of God is important. There are many, but one, one reason is, um, is because when you're in his presence, you actually you know who you are. You know who you are in his presence. Uh, you're, you're utterly exposed before God in his presence, and yet you're fully, because he fully knows you, you suddenly become known to yourself in a way. Um, you know who you are in his presence. Uh, it's, it's a little bit like uh, John, at the beginning of this vision, when he first sees Jesus, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. As though dead. In other words, he, he suddenly understood his place in the universe. <laughs> he was located. I am nothing. God is awesome. And, and so he knew who he was in that moment. And, and of course, God, Christ comes to him and puts his hand upon him and comforts him. Um, but the door is opened by Jesus so you can draw near. And in his presence, this is how we rest in our limits, brothers and sisters. Um, because it, then I know the one who made me. I'm free to confess my sin where God shows me my sin. And I know he'll forgive me. I can surrender my God complex in his presence. I can give him all my worry and anxiety about my future, about the future of my children. In his presence, you can know that though your body is deteriorating, God's good intentions for you will never deteriorate. Um, in his presence, you can know... <laughs> Excuse me. Um, in his presence, you can know that even in any disability, any limit you have on your life, um, any, any pain you're going through, any trauma you've experienced in your life, in his presence, um, any, any, any hard relationship that you're in the midst of, in his presence, you're, you're with the one who is the first and the last. You're with the one who will never leave you or forsake you. So in his presence, you're made whole. You're, you know who you are. Um, what, and, and, and there's some, so, so how do we get into that presence? Um, when, some of you know the story. I went, I went whitewater rafting on the Nile River um, when I was in Uganda a number of years ago. Um, my, my dad had a life-threatening experience um, on, on the, the Nile River. It was, it was scary, um, but it was fun, too. But, but here's how you... Uh, so, yes, there was fun, and then it was scary, and that was less fun. But... But um, getting, getting into the, so here's, how do you get on the Nile River with a bunch of crazy Australians? Um, you need a little bit of cash, and what, what's required is just a whole lot of ignorance. You need to be completely ignorant about what you're getting into. That's how you get in the boat. There's no other way. You don't knowingly throw your body into what we experienced, um, without the skill, anyway. That's, that's access to whitewater rafting on the Nile with the crazy 
Australians. Uh, how do you get into the presence of God? How do you, how do you get into this door? Um, what's required um, is powerlessness, is what Christ identifies here. What's required is an acceptance of your little strength. It's an awareness of your limits. It's the willingness to confess your sin. Uh, and so when you deny your limits, brothers and sisters, you deny yourself the healing presence of God. And so this is why a life of following Christ, this is why a life of following Christ is marked by the spiritual disciplines. Why we are people, uh, we, we practice spiritual disciplines not to escape the world or not because we're just sort of drudgingly obedient, but because we want to live in reality. And, and the presence of Christ brings us into reality. So we practice prayer and reading the scriptures and corporate worship and confession of sin and, and silence because, Lord, help me. I want to live in reality. And so these, practice, these practices draw us into the open door that Christ has set before us. So, so um, we come, Jesus puts us rest in our limits for the sake of the world. What's the second part of the door? The door is also, and Kim alluded to this, the door is also, it's an invitation to follow his spirit, follow the spirit uh, for the sake of the world. Uh, and this is language that, that is elsewhere in scripture. Paul, in his letters, he often prays, pray with me, pray that God would open up a door for the gospel. Uh, pray that, our, that, that though I'm in chains, um, open a door for our message. And so this is what you have to understand about the calling of Jesus. Jesus says two things. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to rest in my presence. And he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And he's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. But when you follow Jesus, when you come at rest in his presence, he, he always moves you out as well, into the world. He always moves you out into the world. Um, and, and, and he delights in using, remember the requirement, powerlessness, weakness? He delights in using the weakness of, of, of his people to, to bless the world. Right? This, is, this is God's brand. Where's, where's Lucia? She was coaching me on being on vibe and brand and um, the, kids, the, the kids speak. This is, this is so God being on brand, right? This is, okay. Um, um, this, is his, this is his flow. This is who he is. God uses the weak things. Listen, listen, listen to uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You all know this. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world to, and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And this, the church in Philadelphia is perfectly positioned. They're at their breaking point. This is what God does, right? And then he, he calls them to this open door. So followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters, we are at rest in our limits so we don't seek influence and relevance for its own sake. Um, and you see this encouragement and admonishment throughout 
um, this letter. Hold on to my name. Keep my word. The way of love in Philadelphia and our own present world is not to try to seek to out-influence the influencers. Um, but it's to, to follow the Spirit in loving our neighbor. Uh, and, and I just want to invite you as we, as we, as we close, uh, don't let this imagery of this call to move out into the world, to rest in his presence, uh, be more mysterious than it is. This is very concrete. This week, you will run into your limits every day. You will not get enough rest tonight, and you will run into your limits first thing in the morning. I should say, I know I will not get enough rest tonight. <laughs> Some of you, it will be in other things. Um, but Jesus has opened a door that stands before you for you to embrace your limits and be at rest in his presence. You need to go through that door. You need to be in his presence this week. And when you rail against your limits and when you fail to accept them as God has given them to you, his invitation remains. Come to me. Confess your sin. Be in my presence. Enter his rest. And so concrete. And this week before you, God has opened a door. There are people that you will come across this week who need to know the love of Christ. They don't need you, as Ed said last week, to simply be nice. They need to know the love of Christ. That door is open. Whether it's the people you work with, the people in your family, the, the people in, in your neighborhood. They need to be, have close proximity to a non-anxious person. A person who is, who is embracing their limits in the presence of God. We need to be a limit-embracing people in God's presence, in a limit-denying and anxious world. So go, brothers and sisters, and love this week. And when you fail and when you lack courage, go to God, confess your lack of courage, and ask him to give you the strength to go again. This is the, the rhythm of, of life that we have. To deny ourselves and lay down our life for others. Um, the worship team can come forward. Uh, the, you, you'll notice at the end there's, there's a promise. Uh, and it's a beautiful promise. Uh, because the one thing I haven't mentioned to you about the city of Philadelphia is that it was a city of earthquakes. Uh, the city was almost completely destroyed um, in, uh, early on. Uh, and, and earthquakes were constant throughout its history. Uh, and even as it was rebuilt, we have recordings of uh, records that, sh that, that all the, the cracks on the building, on the buildings throughout the city were well known. It was just known. And when the tremors would come, people would just run out of the city. And then, and then they would run back in. And so, so, in, so you see why, you see Jesus' promise at the end of this letter? I, I'm going to make you a pillar. I'm going to write my name on you. Uh, the promises of Jesus to, to, to his church and to you is that though you live in difficulty and trouble now, uh, you will be a pillar in the temple of God. If you're finding yourself lacking strength and courage in, in receiving this word, God says to you, you will, be, you will be a pillar. You have a future hope. In, in, a, in a world of earthquakes, you will be a pillar in my temple. 
in a, in, a, in a city that doesn't give any wit about your name, I'm going to put my name that is above every name on you. We can be abundantly generous with our lives now, brothers and sisters, because he has secured us with an abundant future. Father, we, uh, we, just, we thank you, Lord, for this, this letter. We thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the good news that we can come to you. Uh, we can come into your presence, and you will send us out with purpose into the world to love. Um, Lord, we just, we're grateful. We're grateful. We'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand together and sing.